Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 16th is Daniel chapters 7 through 9. Chapter 7 begins with the vision of the four beasts. Now, it can be confusing because Daniel is not actually written in chronological order. We're seeing that this is the first year of the reign of Belshazzar, who already died in chapter 5. Daniel sees four beasts. The first was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. The second was a bear raised up on one side. The third was a leopard with four wings. And the fourth was dreadful and frightening and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the other beasts before it and it had ten horns. But in verse 9, as I kept watching, Daniel writes, thrones were set in places and the Ancient of Days took his seat. The Ancient of Days is God the Father, most would agree. We see the Son of Man mentioned later. Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. But in verse 10, it says a river of fire was flowing, coming out of his presence. Thousands upon thousands were serving him before him. And court was convened and the books were opened. Those were the books of life. And it refers to the time of judgment when all people will stand before God and give an account for their words and for their actions. There's a resurrection unto life for believers at the beginning of the millennial reign. And there's a resurrection unto unto death for those who did not submit to the leadership of God. As I continued watching in verse 11, the beast was killed and its body destroyed. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed. There will be an end to the kingdoms of this world. I believe that's what it's referring to. Suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. I believe that refers to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Regardless of what you think of these passages, know this is true. God wins in the end. There's no escaping his judgment. There's no escaping his presence. No matter how you interpret these, whether you believe these verses were fulfilled fully by Antiochus, whether you believe these verses are referring to Jesus Christ and his reign or some other event, whenever we approach scripture, we could never hurt ourselves searching for a spiritual revelation and a spiritual application. And so let's not get so wrapped up in the who as far as from a human perspective or the date, because again, God exists outside of time and we have such a limited understanding. In verse 17, these huge beasts Four in number are four kings who will rise from the earth, but the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever and ever. Amen. So these four beasts represent four natural kingdoms that we've already discussed, but the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Amen. So even at the same time, while these four kingdoms are successively reigning on the earth, 
and crushing, doing what kingdoms do that are subjected to a sin nature problem. The people of God, which is us, will be reigning. And there is a double meaning in that because we're spiritually reigning now, whether we realize it or not. We have been given power and authority, and we are to exercise it and to bring the natural realm into and under the control of the Spirit. But as we do that, the God of this age is still raging against us, but eventually his kingdom will come to an end. We're in this already but not yet stance where we have the authority and it's limited in some way because we just don't know how to access it. But we're learning and there will come a time in the future where we're able to flow without any kind of inhibition. Nothing will stand in the way and keep us from doing what God wants us to do. In verse 21, as I was watching this horn, this leader waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them until the Ancient of Days arrived and a judgment was given in favor of the holy ones of the Most High. For the time had come and the holy ones took possession of the kingdom. My friends, it's happening. It's happening now, but it'll happen with a finality at some future date. May it not be long. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth. Some people would say it's the Roman Catholic Church. Obviously not every single believer in the Catholic Church, but the structure. Some people would say it's the World Economic Forum. Some people would say it's the Roman government revived currently as we see the Western world, particularly the United States and the European nations, and there's all kinds of theories. But again, let's not get lost in a human perspective. Let's not blame it on a specific church or a specific religion. Let's call it the spirit of religion that chokes the lifeblood out of the believers and seeks to chain them. It's governmental power. It's economic power. It's religious power. It's all of it combined. This fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the others, and it will devour the whole earth. Think about what is currently devouring the whole earth. What has all of the power? Demonic powers and principalities that seek to choke the lifeblood out of the holy ones. The holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. Many people believe that's a literal three and a half year period. Some people believe that this is the tribulation or part of the tribulation, that there's a seven year pouring out. It says in verse 26, but the court will convene and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. Again, the judgment seat, the kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the most high. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Again, this goes back to what we were told in verse 14. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So our goal as Christians needs to be that we grow in wisdom and maturity so that we can co-reign with him when he returns and we can steward what he's giving, giving us well. Friends, if we're not able to steward what he's giving us, then how can we possibly co-reign with him effectively. Chapter 8, he has a vision of a ram and a goat. The ram is Medo-Persian Empire. The goat is the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. We see that told plainly, and it's amazing that 
400 or so years before it happened, Daniel was able to write about it to predict that centuries in advance. This is why many people say that Daniel couldn't have been written when it was. But we have copies of manuscripts that were literally written hundreds of years before Alexander the Great was born. It's all but called him by name in chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. And then we have this ruthless king skilled in intrigue, and most people would agree that that's Antiochus IV or Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who persecuted the Jews for roughly six years. Guess what? 2,300 days is roughly 6.3 years, and we don't have exact dates, but most people believe it was from 171 or 170 BC to 165 or 164 BC, where temple sacrifice was ceased under the reign of Antiochus. So that answers the question of the 2300 days, at least in my mind. He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and by his influence. And in his own mind, he will exalt himself. He will destroy many in a time of peace. He will even stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be broken, but not by human hands. Tychicus died of disease. He didn't lose his life in battle against another nation or another man, but he died by the hand of God. Many people also agree that Antiochus was a literal historical figure. There's no debating that, but he also represents one who is to come. And I would caution you against the idea that there is a man or any person who is an Antichrist, who will be exalted and will lead the world astray. The scriptures in the New Testament that refer to Antichrist refer to the spirit of Antichrist. When it talks about the man of lawlessness, it's talking about mankind. It's, it's not a word that refers to one specific person, but it's referring to mankind as a whole. And so the spirit of Antichrist is the people who are controlled by the flesh, who are against anti-Christ. The word anti means against. Chapter 9, Daniel's prayer. Notice that I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of Yahweh to the prophet Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. He was reading what is now the Bible, the book of Jeremiah, and it prompted him to pray. He was studying the scriptures, and it prompted him to pray. So I turned my attention in verse 3 to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petition with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And in the same way that Daniel was prompted to pray that wound up having him thrown into the lion's den, he is now studying the scriptures and being prompted to pray once again. We can learn a lot from studying the life of Daniel. We should be studying the scriptures and being prompted to pray. First thing that comes to mind is John chapter 17, where Jesus prayed that Christians today would be one. It's so easy when we read these prophecies that are so controversial to divide over eschatological debates, theories about end times, and whether there's going to be a rapture in the before the tribulation, or if there will be a tribulation of literal seven-year period. It's silly to divide over such things. I would argue it's even silly to divide over Reformed theology and Armenianism. 
I used to do that, and now I've learned that God is bigger than my set of agendas or my set of doctrines or the tenets of the faith as I describe them. Who am I to say that you are wrong? If you are not denying that Jesus came in the flesh, but you are believing that he came and that he was the perfect son of God and that he died in your place, if you are agreeing that the two greatest commandments are to love God and love people, who are we to disagree with that? And so you might see things the way I see them, or you might not, but it's not a reason to divide. It's not a reason to forsake and spit in the face of Jesus' prayers that we would be united. As we study the scripture, let's pray that we would be united. Let's pray and ask God for revelation, but let's not divide. In verse 18, we are not presenting our petitions before you in his prayer based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act, my God, for your own sake. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. My friends, if you and I bear the name of God, let us beg him to come and unite us and to do it for his glory. Now in chapter 9, verse 24, there's the 70 weeks that are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. My friends, when did our atonement take place? What put a stop to sin? What atoned for our iniquity? What is bringing in everlasting righteousness? Is it not Jesus Christ and his sacrifice? Now, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, the ruler, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. If the decree was issued to rebuild Jerusalem in the year 457 BC, 62 weeks from that time is 434 years, and that brings us very close to the time that Jesus Christ was born. Some scholars would say it's exactly the time that Jesus rode in to the day that he rode in on the donkey and his triumphal entry right before he was handed over to be crucified. It was that very week. The thing is, we don't know for sure. Some people might think they do, and I would say they're more confident than I am, and that's great, and they very well may be right. In Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. It was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that put a stop to sin and atoned for iniquity and brought in everlasting righteousness. It's quite simple when you think about it. My friends, we are simply out of time, but God bless you. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow.